Today's Ryan Rosillo podcast, we have Dominique Foxworth recapping week nine. I've got my five most important things, including everybody's new favorite player. We'll recap a little bit of LSU's win against Bama. I was in Tiger Stadium for that one on Saturday night and life advice with Kyle. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action right now. You can check out the new and improved quick bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me to want, they taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. We start our podcast. We can't say live from Baton Rouge because it's taped from Baton Rouge. And I uh, spent a little time on LSU's big win on Saturday night against Alabama, Tiger Stadium. Uh, we'll spend a couple minutes on that. But first, the five things from week nine. All right, number one. I have this weird, weird thing with the Tennessee Titans. As you know, if you listen to this pos- uh, podcast last season, uh, you would hear me go, you know, this Titans team, I just don't really take them all that seriously. Part of that, to me, was the statistical creation that was Ryan Tannehill. Like, when you looked at a two-year window of his stats, you could put it in these in this grouping with other quarterbacks, and then you're like, well, he's not one of those guys, even though the numbers told you that. The touchdown-interception ratio was incredible. There's just all these numbers for Tannehill that were really, really good numbers. And they're the one seed in the AFC, and I'm sitting there and I'm going, you know what? This is one of the worst one seeds that we've seen in a conference in a really long time. Uh, they lose at home. Tannehill isn't very good. They lose to Cincinnati, whatever. I mean, you could argue the game could have gone the other way because it looked like Burrow was going to get murdered in that game just because they could not protect him. So I was dismissive of them as a one seed. And then when I was looking at some of the Baltimore and Buffalo and Kansas City stuff, I was like, wait, Tennessee is actually the two seed right now. Do you realize this? And so going into that game, having it be a primetime game, it was, it was the other, which makes this weird, is that I'm like, you know, I kind of think I like Tennessee now. And I was like, wait, why do I like them more now when there's no statistical reason to like them more this season than last season? And they're trying to do this with Malik Willis at quarterback who, look, the go route that wasn't caught was a really nice ball when he was flushed out to his right on the first possession of the second quarter and was getting chased and then threw it kind of like past the sticks was a sick throw, the back shoulder throw to the tight end that he made where it was already like predetermined, but he knew exactly what he wanted and spot perfect, like really nice stuff. The Henry... QB combo there with what are we going to deal with here? Like, yeah, maybe I maybe I like the possibilities, but we're not there yet. And when you look at some of the stats, all right, so um, defensively last season, they were sixth in points per game allowed, 12th in yards. This year, they're 10th in points per game, 21st in yards. Uh, the scoring offense last season was at least middle of the pack, 25 points per game. Now they're like 18.6, which is 24th. So the quarterback part is going to have to work itself out. I'm sitting there looking at the defensive line that we all love. We love when the Henry stuff works. 
Um, but, you know, Mahomes had the tipped interception off of Kelsey. I swear to God, I feel like Kelsey's great, Hall of Fame, the whole thing. I feel like he has like one bad play that's kind of bad more often than some of the other guys that are great. Every week would be harsh, but maybe it's because I've watched them so many times in comparison to other ones. I'm being unfair to him, but I feel like he's he's good for like one kind of screw up every few weeks in a game. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Kansas City ends up winning this game and I'm just sitting there going, wait, why do you like them now? Why do you like them better now? Because they're coached better. Because of the D-line. Uh, because I don't like Tannehill and now they've gone to Malik. Um, it, it doesn't really make any sense. Uh, their wins aren't very good. Vegas, the Colts, Commanders, Colts, Texans. So now they're down to a four seed. We'll see. Maybe it's their third down. Because it was the best third down offense against the best third down defense based on conversion ranks. I think Tennessee was something absurd, like 26% conversion against them going into last night's game. It's a number I always really like. But it very, very simple could be that they're the four seed and not the one seed. And I still hold out some kind of hope for them. All right, number two. Bills Jets, classic NFL game, right? This is the classic NFL game that we talk about all the time. One team comes out, they're clearly better. And then you're sitting there looking up three hours into it, and you're like, wait, the Jets could win this thing? And that's exactly what this was. Allen wasn't very good. Uh, the second pick that he threw underneath was brutal. It was just, I think that's why he was so upset throughout the game. Uh, it just, just bad pick, man. Just a completely bad pick. Uh, and it's tough to watch the Jets and think they're going to be any good because Wilson gets his ass kicked all game long. He's now four touchdowns, five interceptions, but they're six and three, and then they're five seed. And I do wonder if this is their moment, their moment where they go, everything is different now after the Buffalo win because we know that the offense is really good. They're fifth in opponent's yards per play allowed. They've been a defensive team the whole time through. Wilson went, what, like a month without throwing a touchdown? And God, I feel like he's getting crushed all the time in these games. Like, it's just a lot for a guy who looks a little slight in the old hips uh, to be taking this kind of punishment. And next thing you know, you look up and like the Jets are going to pull this thing off and it's kind of, it leaves us here. I don't know. It's going to take a lot for any of us to be moved off of the bills, but the, the similarity here is that Miami beat Buffalo in a game that didn't make any sense. It was one of the most statistical, like one of the biggest statistical anomalies in NFL history for a team to do what Buffalo did and still lose that game against a team, what Miami was doing. But you wondered, this is a huge win in division. Everybody's favorite team right now, the Buffalo bills, does that turn a corner? Is it some mental hurdle for Miami? Well, I don't know if it's the direct correlation, but Miami's been a really good football team so far this season on offense when Tua has played, uh, not missing those other two guys, right? I wonder if it can be the same thing for the Jets. <laughs> Number three, watching Kansas City, Tennessee, after watching Tampa, LA Rams was like throwing it on to the primetime ABC ESPN game. In college football, like it was if you were screwing around watching maybe you have a group of five conference go at it. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, it's it's Georgia, Alabama or whatever, you know, LSU, Alabama, you can say whatever you want. I, I And that's the, the craziest thing is that <laughs> that's not really true because we're talking about Tennessee's offense here, not can not just Kansas City's, but we have to include Tennessee in that matchup there. I just felt like there were more players running around doing stuff uh, on Sunday night than that slugfest between Tampa Bay and the Rams. These, these teams are just, every week, man, we're looking at these NFC powers going, is there any sign that a corner can be turned here at some point? Uh, and here's the weird part. Tampa wins it as the Rams are up the entire time. And 
Tampa has had like four of these games that have all felt like the same game where they can't do anything all game and then they still have some weird chance. Green Bay week two, the two point conversion doesn't work. They lose that one. Pittsburgh week six, almost the exact same thing. Baltimore week eight, trying to get back into that one. And then here we are again. You know, they, they have to punt it. They've got the two timeouts. They get the ball back. We're like, wait, they're still going to have another chance at this thing. And they pull it off. Brady's ecstatic because I can't imagine how frustrating it is playing for both of these teams. Both old lines can't do anything. The Rams cannot run the football to save their lives. Some historically low numbers on that one. Um, and staying with that NFC supposed power group, like we're all off of Green Bay at this point, man. They scored nine points in a loss to Detroit, who's allowing the most points. They're allowing 32 points per game, I think, going into that one in the NFL this season. So all those teams are brutal to watch, which is amazing that all three at the same time are such massive disappointments. Let's stay in the NFC with everybody's new favorite player, and that's Justin Fields. Chicago's offense, you want to have your mind blown here a little bit? If you look at yards per play on offense, Chicago's 18th. They're ahead of the Chargers. They're ahead of the Pats. They're ahead of Russell Wilson. They're ahead of Tampa. They're ahead of Tennessee. Uh, They're ahead of Arizona. That's not a good sign. 29th. Come on, guys. And then the Rams, who are last in the NFL in yards per play. Uh, Fields has put together, well, they're losses, but it's hope, right? That it looks like anything. He ran it 15 times for 178 and a touchdown on top of throwing for three touchdowns. So we're talking about 300 plus yards, four touchdowns, a shootout with the Dolphins. That That's happening now after what looked like the first four weeks of the season. I mean, the San Francisco game I thought was kind of fluky when he had the two touchdowns and that win in the rain. Um, but then the next three weeks, he didn't do anything. I mean, the numbers are pretty bad. They still found a way to beat Houston, which isn't shocking, but he completed eight passes. Now we're starting to see a little bit more out of him and the fact that it's so exciting because he's so physically gifted. It feels like Fields is now the new chance for hope. Another version of a Star Wars movie, right? Justin Fields, a new chance at hope. I don't even know if that title makes any sense, but that's the point because I don't know that I would have heard it from anybody, but now seeing, because I think almost everybody collectively, like he has the highest sympathy ranking, maybe any quarterback in the NFL, and now seeing him break some of these plays like he did yesterday, uh, it's everybody's having a good time. All right, final thing. Number five, the MVP thing's going to get weird. I hope you're ready for it. We suggested that maybe Micah Parsons could be in it, but I knew deep down, like the whole time I'm talking about it, I'm like, you know, it's not really going to happen. It's going to be Josh Allen. Will there be a Josh Allen, um, well, not push. To me, Allen is the MVP, but there's going to be a Jalen Hurts push. It's going to be significant. The stats won't be the same as we know, but there'll be like a weird resume turning the Eagles around, having to do like if Allen has a few more screw up games, you know, depend. We're only halfway through this. We got to see what the entire numbers are. I'm just saying it'll be really weird because Hertz statistically is just not going to be at where um, where Allen is. You know, he's just not. He's behind him now, so he'd have a lot of work to do. But would it become some kind of conversation? I just I started seeing some hints at it this weekend where would you look at the record and start going like Hertz is responsible for all this, which, you know, look, the Eagles are really good, but that that plus minus giveaway takeaway, they're three times better than the second best team. Like they're so far ahead of everybody else. Uh that has as much to do with their success as anything. And he's a big part of that too. But I'm just wondering if there'll be like 
you know the other argument isn't as good as when they go, hey, let's not look at the statistics first. Let's talk about storyline impact first and then get to the other stuff second. Uh, I think that will start happening as we head into the second half of the season. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? <laughs> I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class. That just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out now. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash Ryan. Week nine, almost in the books. And Dominique Foxworth joins us as uh, we, we wrap this up. Good to catch up with you again, man. It's been a while. It has been a while. I always like talking to you. You, um... You think about the way that you think, which is makes for an interesting conversation and an interesting listen. So I'm excited to see where this goes. Well, cool. Thanks for joining us. As I said in the open, and I was talking about the Jets win against Buffalo, where you know when you're the team that's been bad for a long time and you have these new young pieces and there are things that we like about the team, specifically the defense, you wonder if there's a moment. You wonder if there's a moment to be like, hey, after that Bills win, that's when things turned around. Is that a real thing? Like, have you experienced that? when you have that kind of win or can you be tricked? Can you be completely tricked? Cause I'm still not sure what the answer is. Yeah. I mean, I think both are true. It's hard to like boil down the psyche of an entire team, entire coaching staff and an entire organization to like one thing. I think it's much easier to look back at it and then tell the story, which is how we tend to do everything is we get far enough away and we're like, Hey, this was the pivotal moment where they really started to believe but I do think there's something to be said, especially for young teams, for like surprising yourself and like having a measuring stick for yourself. And there's something that like changes your perception. I, I'm not sure if this was that game for the Jets, honestly, because it still all boils down to Zach Wilson and they seem to have kid gloves on him for much of this game. He, they didn't really allow him to attack the middle of the field. They, which I think part of the reason. Like part of the reason why they won was because they were trying to protect Zach. 
I think, if that makes any sense. So I, I think what the Bills do often and do well is they've constructed this team that seems entirely based on the fact that they're going to score a lot of points and they're going to score early. So they're going to get up by a couple touchdowns and then you're going to chase and they have pass rushers and they like to play too high and they have two great safeties when they're both healthy. Um, in this particular game, they got up two scores and in part because I felt like the Jets didn't trust Zach Wilson to like just go out there and and light it up. Their game plan offensively was pretty conservative. Their defense settled down and eventually they found themselves back in the game. Yeah, because on the other side of it, side of it, I'm not I'm not looking at it like with Buffalo going, ah, well, now I have to re. You know, I mean, we all fall in love with them when they look at their best. It was the same thing again yesterday. I'm like, okay, here we go, same deal. But Allen was just bad. He was just bad, yeah. uncharacteristically bad. Like, I always feel like there are different interceptions. There are late-game contested interceptions where guys increase their level of risk. And I'm like, whatever. Right. Those, to me, don't really count. Um, there are times where the defensive player does something he never normally does and a really good quarterback. Like, there used to be this throw with Brady where he would try to throw it behind the linebacker to Gronk on this, like, seam route. Mm-hmm. And you would never expect the linebacker to stay with the route. And he threw like two picks on it. It was hilarious because you were like, they're not even bad picks. He just can't believe the guy was there. And then you have these picks where you can't believe, like Fields had one to a safety in a game where I was like, dude, did you not even think the safety was over there? <laughs> and Allen's, Allen's pick where he just didn't see a guy in front of him was just uncharacteristic of like the best quarterbacks. Like that was the kind of pick where I'm like, man, you're really... That, that's why I think he was so mad at himself throughout the game because he's like, who are you today, man? So that brings up two thoughts to me. One is like that Rodgers pick um, over the middle of the field felt like he wanted the tight end to bend it. Uh, and it's like one of those where you're like, well, is it the quarterback's fault or is it someone else's fault? But he threw three picks. Uh, the one in the red zone was really horrendous. But uh, I, I'm not sure who to attribute that pick over the middle of the field to the tight end, who to attribute that to because it felt like Rodgers was expecting something different. So I know exactly what you're talking about. But for Josh Allen, I don't know if you participated. Well, I, n- knowing what I know about you, you probably did not participate in the the Twitter, like, sports media beef of the last couple of weeks, which was about, like, ex- or interceptable passes versus actual interceptions. I don't know if you knew this was going on, but I they didn't. were like, okay, Sounds good, awesome. good for you. Sounds awesome, Good for though. you, yeah. I didn't participate in it, but, like, some big names got in a fight, and the conversation was about evaluating quarterbacks and saying, like, take into account the interceptable passes that they throw, not just the actual interceptions that they throw. And I think to be fair to Josh Allen is he is incredible. And we put him on this Mahomes and Allen pedestal. When he's at his best, he's that. But Josh Allen has never been someone who shied away from the interceptable pass. Like, he is always kind of, not always. There are games like the Dolphins game comes to mind where we were like, yeah, they lost, but Josh Allen threw for 400 yards and he was really awesome. But when you go back and watch the game, he bounced a couple balls off a Dolphins defender's chest. And that's kind of what Josh Allen has always been. He's always been a guy that's going to put the ball in a risky situation. The difference is early in his career, he didn't counterbalance that with amazing plays. Now he he has like five times as many amazing plays as interceptable passes. And then DBs, it's hard to catch balls. Like, it's really hard where you're not expecting it to make interceptions, especially when Josh Allen throws a laser at your face. So it, over the course of a season or course of a game, most of the time it's going to balance out 
or not balance out. Most of the time, it's going to tilt in the favor of him being a positive impact on his team. But in a game like this one this week, they caught the interceptable passes and he didn't make that many outstanding plays. And it cost him. And that's what's going to happen when uh, when the luck goes against them. You know, I wonder on the interceptable passes thing was two a lot higher than people would expect. Tua was higher on it. It was like a, a Herbert Tua debate that was going on. Um, and Tua was higher on interceptable passes and Herbert was higher on interception. I mean, that's what anytime you use those counting stats and you know this particularly from all the basketball that you watch, like counting stats are hard. Analytics are, uh, I mean, analytics and stats are the same thing, but we kind of talk about these advanced stats. Like that's probably a better word. Advanced stats are a little bit better, but there are still flaws in those advanced stats. But when you're just counting up interceptions, like it's really hard to determine whether one player is better or worse. And that's what the debate really was boiling down to, because if you're going to evaluate a quarterback's play, you should dock them for as many interceptable passes as you do for interceptions, because the fact that it wasn't intercepted is not because you put some special spin on it. It's like because they dropped it and. And you should also like take into consideration the the time of the game and the moment, all that stuff you were saying. So that's what makes like quarterback evaluation hard and boiling it down to what this de- what kicked off this debate was like Tua has more wins and less interceptions. He's so much better than Herbert. And then <laughs> people started fighting about it. Yeah, look, I mean, I thought Tua was atrocious in that Pittsburgh game. Terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought it was five picks. They counted it as four. <laughs> I had a higher, I had a higher count at home, and you know what? It's been a top ten offense. Everything for the most part is working, and it looks like he's going to be a real guy. But yeah, I mean, I thought that game was bad. I'm not bringing this all up to do a two debate again. Uh, nah. This is kind of scary, and it's kind of fun, but it feels like everybody likes Justin Fields now. And <laughs> is there some sort of like, again, real or imaginary? Is there a real? corner that has been turned here for somebody who I've I've honestly felt bad at. I, like I can't it's yeah. malpractice to me that the franchise on a rookie scale contract wouldn't want to give them some better options uh, but now it feels like since the Patriots game and then what he did yesterday against the Dolphins granted in a loss like it just feels it feels a lot more fun to lose if you're a Bears fan it does and it feels like there's optimism in the future and if it doesn't turn into like sustainable success they'll turn on him again which like we have these cycles as fans and just as people all the time which is not fair to these i, I was thinking this this weekend when i watched taylor heineke pull off a ridiculous spin move just every now and then i'm like god damn these motherfuckers are good you know <laughs> and then we like criticize the shit out of them like taylor <laughs> heineke you know like he's not the guy that you expect it was, I'll find the clip and send it to you. It was just like an absurd spin move where it's like, God, and he's like the worst of them. But anyway, back to the question about Phil. So I started this season with Bears fans mad at me because I essentially said what you just said. It's like, he's a hell of a talent. They have not run things that are effective for him. They have not built around him. And um, they should consider like making some other moves or he should force his way out because the rookie contract and all that stuff, the timing's off. And so Bears fans hated me. They won their first game and they got to they got to dunk on me, which is really fun uh, against the uh, 49ers. But yeah, that game point, in the rain. That, I mean, yeah. what, that game. All right, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to your point, I think that he's playing better. They're designing plays or running plays that that take the pressure off him. That's like one of the things I think about when I'm evaluating quarterbacks 
is how can you take pressure off of them and how much pressure do they need taking taken off of them? And I think that you don't think about uh, design quarterback runs as taking pressure off of um, Justin Fields, but it absolutely does. And when you have great talent around a quarterback, so like Jimmy Garoppolo is a prime example. They don't ask him to do very many things that are super difficult. They take the pressure off of him. And every now and then they get in a situation where they're like, hey, Jimmy, can you bring us back from down two scores? And he can't. But that's not what he's there for. So whether Justin Fields can get to that or not, I don't know. But most quarterbacks need time. You need to be in a good situation. And this is something that I bring up a lot is if you look around the league at the best quarterbacks in the league, all of them came into good situations. Like that's how they started. They started in situations where the pressure was not on them or not very much. And it gave them time to develop. And it gave them time to turn into these great quarterbacks. If you look at them, I mean, all the way back to Brady and like Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Russell Wilson, who's not great anymore, but was great for a stretch. All these guys, Mahomes, all these guys came in in situations where there was not a whole lot of pressure on them, where other people could take it off of them. And that allowed them the time, I think, to develop because no one's drafted in the first round. Frankly, no one's drafted if they're not really good at something. And finding a way to allow them to catch up in the other ways, to allow them to become the player is, that they can potentially become, I think, is super important. So back to the Fields question. That coming out party uh, at the Patriots game, that's another example of one of those things where we get away from the game and we look at the raw stats. And we're like, man, that was his coming out party. He was bouncing balls off of Patriots chest in that game. Also, he was fumbling balls all over the place, but they kept re recovering it. They won. And then he put together a couple good games that didn't have as many bad plays in it. And we're like, oh, he's arrived. So I, I, I feel like my opinion of Justin Fields has not changed because he's doing the things that I knew he could do. It's just like the coaching staff and the front office uh, have gotten their heads around the idea that we're going to let him run the ball a lot more, and that will allow him time to develop. He has all the tools, you know, to become a great quarterback. Is he going to have the time and the support to develop into that is the question. And what we've seen these last three weeks are promising, but I don't think he's over the hump by any stretch. And I'd say the same thing about the Jets, which is where this whole conversation all started, is they're, they're good. But I don't see this win over the Bills as like some hump game that now there are formidable for the um, foreseeable future. I think we're always trying to figure out if somebody's coming up with new ways to slow down Kansas City. You know, I've had this weird two-year thing with the Titans team where I feel like I liked them more this year, and there's no reason for me to like them more this year based on what they did last year. But going into last night, it felt like a classic. Like, they had a great game plan in. Uh, Vrabel, by all accounts, everybody loves playing for this guy. You like their personnel. You like their style to try to win like an old school football game. And I mean, again, Malik, a quarterback, super talented. There's a handful of throws that were really impressive last night. It's a huge spot to ask a rookie quarterback to go in there on primetime Sunday night at KC and go win. Um, but then I'm thinking like, I don't know, maybe Tennessee isn't even that good. And Kansas City still, you know, despite the, the numbers tell you Kansas City's offense is still rolling. But that was that was weird. It was a nice win, but it almost was alarming. Yeah, I think you, you like to say that everyone has bad games. And if you're able to win in those bad games, then we should be we should celebrate that. And in most cases, I would. But I'm with you on the Chiefs. 
is the problem for me with the Chiefs, which makes me, what makes me concerned about the Chiefs is they keep having the same issue, you know? Like you can, and, and it doesn't seem to go away. And to me, it's that explosive element. It's Tyreek Hill. And uh, back when Tyreek Hill was with the Chiefs, like early in his career there, like I made it clear that I think he's the best receiver in football because he has the, he's possibly the quickest guy and the fastest guy in the league at the same time, which is an impossible combination that you never have. And you would think, all right, he both can like change directions on a dime and he can accelerate to a top speed that's like world-class and no time flat. That's something that you don't find. That's a combination you don't find in many people. And then on top of it, he can track the ball and go and attack it in the air and catch as well as anybody else. I think all those things make for somebody who's incredibly dangerous. And that makes everything easier. Talk about taking pressure off. He's a guy that you can throw in that big playoff game. Patrick Mahomes threw him like a six-yard like option route. He went to the crib. Like that's that's taking pressure off him. Also, he takes pressures off by attracting the defense because he's running those deep, like horizontal go routes, which they normally run. And he takes all the attention and makes like life easier for everybody else. So I think not having Tyreek Hill there is putting a lot more pressure on Patrick Mahomes than he's used to. It's going to have to be perfect for longer. And he's one of the guys that's capable of doing it. I wouldn't be shocked if they won the Super Bowl this year, but I think if Kadarius Tony doesn't turn into some version of Tyreek Hill, they're going to have to find somebody to fill that role because as good as his protection is, as good as Patrick Mahomes is, that's an element. Like a true, true number one game-breaking receiver is the most important thing after a quarterback to any offense in in the league right now, in my view. The the lead-up, right? The lead-up to a game. Um, you guys watch film. They tell you what to do. You start to learn certainly your own division's tendencies, but how much does that come into play? The preparation of like, hey, maybe game and score like this guy's a little bit different, or this guy might not ever throw beyond the sticks, or these are right. these are tendencies where, especially as a defensive back, maybe you're you're deciding, all right, you know, I haven't seen it yet, I may jump something here, you know, like right. how does that work in your preparation for a game like that? Yeah, I think it depends a lot on who the player is and where you are in your career. But the coaches are examples. Sure. I mean, I think the, the best example, when we talk about film study, I always end up back on Ed Reed because he's was the best at it that I've been around. Um, when I played with champ, it was difficult to like try to learn from champ because he's one of those guys who's like, he's just better than everybody else. And he would study film and he would see stuff too. But like, I can't cover four things at once. You can, but for Ed, he's a great athlete too, but you could learn from film study. The thing that Ed taught me about film study that was, that was really impressive to me was it's the first time that he watched film like a quarterback. It's the first time I'd been around a defender that watched film like a quarterback and or like a, a coordinator. So like I'm watching film where I'm watching my receiver and I'm watching the offense and I'm like, all right, well, in third down, they like to do this, this and this. He lines up like this when he's going to do that. Um, and I'm all focused on what they're doing, whereas if you see a team that, uh, and, and I guess what I didn't take into consideration is they're doing the same thing to us. And so if I watch us, I should be able to narrow down what they're going to do. So like I come into a game, watch three weeks worth of film on a team. When they get in third and six, they like to go with like a, a smash concept. And then we go into the game and they run like mesh or shallow crosses. And 
I'm like, what the fuck? They haven't run this since week one. When in actuality, they are watching film and they're like, on third and short, you guys like to play man. You guys like to blitz. So this is what we're going to do. And so in playing with Ed, one thing that I, I noticed is that he's aware of our disguises and when we ruin our disguises. And that's like a big, a, a big, uh, play that lots of people would like to talk about it. Ed is the interception that he got off of Peyton Manning and I was covering Reggie Wayne and he got the interception. That was all from film study because they did a hurry up repeat play. They just caught a comeback on me to Reggie Wayne. They hurried up to the line to run the play again to force us to stay in the same coverage. So Ed had told me the week prior, like, yeah, that's what they're going to do. When I when that happens, I'm going to look at you. You sit on it and steal the comeback. I'm going to show away and come back and protect you over the top. And so what he was doing was like, Peyton knows what we're in. He's going to force us to stay in it. Since he knows he's going to force us to stay in it, you sit on the comeback. When you sit on the comeback, they convert to a go. Peyton's going to check me at the beginning of the field, me being Ed. He's going to check me at the beginning of the play. So I'm going to step, take two steps away and then forget what I'm reading, break back over to where you are. That's exactly what happened. And so... Peyton snaps the ball. He looks at Ed to check to make sure Ed's not cheating over there. Ed shows two steps. I squat on the comeback and Reggie converts to a go and he puts it up there and Ed's already over there intercepting it. It was like the most rewarding, happiest I'd been at a play because it just felt so smart. We did the same thing with, um, it wasn't even Ed this time, it was Haruki Nakamura was the safety in Green Bay and Haruki got a pick because we did a similar thing. Another example of Ed doing that is we're in cover two, or this was actually before I got there. It was a play that he showed me. We're in cover two in the playoffs, or they're in cover two in the playoffs against the Dolphins. And the Dolphins go two by two, quarterback under. They like to go on, I think might have been third and short. They want to go double slant on that if you're in cover two. Because double slant, the inside, the hook curl defender, it has to be inside the number two. The cornerback has to be outside the number one. So there's a big hole in there for a slant. It's an easy play against cover two. Ed's a deep half player. He sees that. He sees that the quarterback sees that that they're showing cover two. And he comes from the deep half and steals a slant. And if you're watching that, you're like, this guy is a madman. He just does whatever the fuck he wants and gets plays. But in actuality, he's like, all right, two by two, quarterback under, quick game, third and short. We're... They want to do a couple of things. Oh, we're in cover two. What's the best way to beat cover two if you got quarterback under two by two? It's slant. Once he saw the three-step, he broke on the slant. And it's like, I forgot where this question started, but the point is, I think that that's the preparation. The next step of preparation is not so much, is once you understand what they want to do, then you understand what you're doing. And then on the field, understand what you're showing. Because the quarterbacks are making decisions right there pre-snap. It's, pre-snap. it's very rare that, I can't speak for all quarterbacks, but it feels like their mind is made up, even, especially the best quarterbacks, their mind is made up before the snap. Like they do hard count, they do shifts and motions to figure out what coverage you're in. And they're like, all right, probability says I'm going to end up throwing to this guy. I might look over here first, but I'm going to be, I'm going to end up throwing to this guy and attacking this concept. And if you can find a way to to understand it from their perspective, you're in a better position to start. It's a great answer, first of all, and it's a great explanation because, you know, again, just years of doing this and sitting at home, sometimes I think, hey, maybe it isn't that complicated. Maybe it's like banking. 
They want me to think it's super complicated. <laughs> yeah. um, and then there are other times where I go, yeah, this probably is a little bit more complicated because, you know, you'll look at plays and you'll think about distance and then your alignment. And it's like, well, you should do something you never do. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. We'll surprise them. But now I'm doing something that there's a really good chance somebody's going to be in the wrong place. Right. It's not something that we've shown. So yeah, we may surprise them, but we may surprise ourselves. And that's why I like certain broadcasts. I like where they'll just be little, little simple reminders going, hey, this is your moneymaker on third down. Uh, short red zone situation, it's probably the tight end. Okay, one-on-one -on, -one on this side, they're probably going to throw it up to Mike Evans. I actually thought the Brady game yesterday, despite how grueling that was to watch because it was just so frustrating, and there was only one other game on to go back and forth on, I'm watching it going like, I like that Romo is explaining that Brady's making some of these throws because, like, he doesn't really have much of a choice. Like, the throws aren't working out, but considering mm -hmm. what's happening with the offensive line and what Aaron Donald is doing, like, this is what he's, this is what the game has become now. And then he started saying, okay, now he's, he's sort of figured out some other things. And I thought, you know, this is actually teaching us a lot here again. Not that it was, you know, brain surgery or anything like that, but there are throws, like, everybody's playing the same position, but mm -hmm. it's pretty clear, like, the philosophy of these guys is very different. Like everybody, yeah. there's some guys that don't even see some of this stuff. You know what I mean? Where it's like, look, <laughs> exactly. you don't have you don't have any other chance. So you have to do this thing you know has very little chance because the other thing has even less chance. And that goes back to the point about um, the greatest quarterbacks in the game right now came into good situations where there was not a ton of pressure on them. Is some guys don't see that second level stuff because they haven't had the time. Like it's a it's a simple game, but it's complex. And the more that you can master these complexities, you need time to master those complexities. The more time you have to get there, then you might be able to see the game like Brady. Brady's a smart person, but he's not like a super genius. He's just been around it a long time. And Peyton Manning is was kind of the best when it came to the smarts of the game. And back to your point about maybe you should do the same thing. I don't know if they had more than 10 plays in their whole playbook when Peyton was in Indy. He just had a concept to beat every concept. And then he would no huddle us and hard count and watch enough film so that he could find, this is when I was in Denver and when I was in Baltimore, and he would try to figure out what coverage we were in. Out of all the 11 guys on the field, he knew where everybody was supposed to be. And somebody would start cheating to their location. And then that would give him the information he needed to get into one of his simple-ass plays that would be perfect to beat this coverage. And that's like, he was someone who grew up as a quarter with a quarterback for a dad. So I suspect that he was a little bit more advanced by the time he got to the league than uh, most quarterbacks were. And he's an example of a quarterback that did not come into a great situation, but had success. And that's the aberration to me. Do you like Minnesota at all? <laughs> um, Does anyone? Kirk Cousins make me, makes me smile. <laughs> he's fun. Yeah, I don't know. The, the argument for Minnesota is the NFC. It's like the NFC is not great. And maybe Jalen Hurts forgets that he's playing like an MVP at some point. Because I, I do think that the Vikings can beat anybody. Like They have two really good pass rushers. And they have amongst the best receivers and running back in the league and Kirk Cousins is not great in prime time, but he's a comeback kid. He's a capable quarterback. Like they have a good offensive line. They have the things, they have a lot of the pieces that you need to have success. They just 
don't impress us <laughs> ever. I don't, I don't, I don't see anybody getting excited for them, but they mess around and, and back their way into the first round by if something happens to the Eagles. And next thing you know, they're in championship game and anything can happen. Yeah, it's pretty crazy because usually there's there's somebody that decides yeah. at this point a team is seven and one and they start going like, why not? Cousins is so unpopular yeah. uh, for his play style. Although the chain celebrations afterwards, it seems like he's buying some, like there's some equity being bought back up by him. People are kind of enjoying it. But I mean, it's it's pretty rare for a team to be seven and one and nobody, nobody. seems to like them. Nobody, yeah. I can't even think of anybody. There's usually somebody who may not even believe it that goes, all right, yeah. you know, week 10, I'm picking the Vikings. Maybe it'll happen, but yeah. this is, this is a there's pretty a lane. long time. Yeah, there's sure. A, there's a lane there for somebody. It ain't going to be me. <laughs> but uh, the the Kirk Cousins thing, I think, goes back to the point we were talking about a little bit earlier. Is like the cycle of that we go through and the way that we feel about players is like Kirk Cousins gone through that cycle so many times. But it feels like anytime we get high on Kirk Cousins, things go wrong. And also when you watch the games, you recognize that the things that they ask him to do are not super difficult. But then he also, like, I feel like he has a great record in, like, trailing and fourth quarters and, like, comebacks and all that stuff. I feel like that's a stat that pops up every now and then. So he's a hard guy to pin down. He's certainly above average and based on the fact that he keeps getting re-signed and re-upped. He's not a quarterback that you just want to let go and considering what happened with Washington since they let him go and, and the way that Minnesota's been competitive this whole time. He's a good quarterback, but that's the... That's the thing that hangs over them. And this team is not as talented as their best teams, but it would have been nice if they could have put together one of their best teams with one of those like classic Zimmer defenses this season would be uh, they'd be in, in good shape considering what's happening in Green Bay and the rest of the NFC. I watched a lot of college ball over the years, mm-hmm. as you know, and uh, there are a lot of college quarterbacks that I feel like the NFL because I, I made this point. I go college football guy watches the NFL. NFL, like prideful NFL guy, kind of goes out of his way to suggest that he doesn't have time for this lesser product, which I think is just a really weird dynamic of like hardo NFL dude. <laughs> like he doesn't want any coaches to ever work out from college. Uh, they don't like Herb Street on the calls. You know, like yeah. there's this very protective NFL thing. It's like, I don't care if you're a flamed out coordinator seven places and you get a head coaching job. You just can't possibly be from the Big 12 and coach on Sundays. Again, I, the recent history tells you these guys are having a real hard time with it. So NFL hard guy uh, might be right about it. Sorry to cut you off, but you hit, you struck a nerve for me. NFL, like, tattoo on his chest guy, I hate him. Like, oh. uh, just like, it's just words. weird to be, I don't know, when people go to the internet and it's like, NFL is so much better than the NBA. This is a weird thing. NFL is so much better than college football. Like, are you getting checks? It just is a weird thing that happens across sports where people like identify with the league and the sport like they own it. And it's just weird. And they get entrenched and like, no, I don't want college guy to succeed in my league. This is the men's league. It's just weird. I'm sorry. Tangent. No, do not be sorry because we couldn't agree more. Like NFL ratings victory lap guy on Twitter. <laughs> yes. Like I don't like exactly. Where is your win? <laughs> no one, no one is telling you that people don't watch it. This isn't an argument that anybody was having. Everybody's <sighs> conceded before it even started. So what your 
where's the pride? Like, do you put the phone down and like go outside and look at look at your back porch and exhale, being like, "Fucking awesome, another awesome fucking day." Thanks, for, thanks NFL. a lot for the Astros to not give us a game seven on Sunday because we would have got a, a a World Series game seven on Sunday. We would have been inundated with NFL dominates MLB World Series. We're the best. Yeah, it's like man, see nineteen of the top twenty shows on TV with the NFL last year. <laughs> gonna be a good fucking week man because <laughs> oh, i'll God. be like what it, no one no one told you that wasn't anyway all right all right so all right going ahead uh moving on there have been a few quarterbacks that have come through like when kellen mon was on the vikings i'm like dude i watched this guy at AM the whole time i would be surprised uh now there's a few others i'm not gonna sit here and just dump on a million quarterbacks uh the colts decision with ellinger that one surprises me it's now, now i don't you know i mean it's we're first week the patriots are a weird team to try to figure out the offense is atrocious uh defense has been pretty good except mm-hmm. when they played the bears i don't know i mean it's one week it's not fair it's not fair to do any of this with any of these guys you know a couple weeks into their career but there are just some players that i know i've watched way more of than nfl hardo guy and he'll have mm-hmm. like more of an open mind cuz he hasn't seen what i thought was somewhat of a limited quarter like a lot of the quarterbacks who i thought were limited and i'm like i'm kind of shocked this guy's even getting reps and get a chance to be a starter and i could end up being totally wrong but that's where i'm at right now yeah i i think that their coaches most of the time know this too and at least in the um colt situation it, it, it's out there pretty much that this was not the coach's like choice. This was kind of pushed on them by Ursay. And I think it's like, this ain't working. Maybe we can catch magic in a bottle. I think the Ellinger's athleticism uh, was the thing that was enticing. But I don't think anybody who knows anything about football like thought that Ellinger, Ellinger was better. Maybe they thought that they could have more success with Ellinger because his he adds, I mean, he's not even like a super runner, but I guess he adds some dimension that my, Matt Ryan doesn't have. So I don't get it either. Can I ask you a college football question? Yeah. What's the next evolution for Alabama? I spent last night thinking about this a little bit. Is like Alabama's gone up and up and had like a slight dip. And then the evolution from my perspective was, they like accepted the modernization of offense and started to like do the things that other people were having success against them doing. Um, I don't know what they can do now to compete, particularly with Georgia, because Georgia reminds me of like the old Miami teams because they're super deep with talent and they're right on top of like an oil well of great talent and no one's going to want to leave Atlanta. And it's the same way with like when Miami was at their peak, it was like, if they just recruited in a 20 mile radius, if they got all the good players, they were going to dominate. It feels like the same thing in Athens is like, if they can just keep people there and then coaching attrition is a, is a issue for um, Alabama and will become an issue probably for Georgia, but they pay their, their assistance enough that they may not may never want to leave either. But I don't know. I guess the question started with like, what happens? Is there something for Alabama to accept or to start to do that can like re-cement them, re-cement them as like a dominant power? Because 
it feels like it's over. Okay. It feels like it's over. I'm glad you went there because this would be a good place to finish. Um, I'm going to have to see a team go like six and six, five and seven before mm-hmm. I'm even engaging any of this stuff. Because honestly, like right now, I think it's kind of bullshit. Yeah. I think it's a rush to be. I mean, look, I love my guy Cowherd when Malzahn beat him in the Iron Bowl, like I think mm-hmm. nine years ago. I forget which one it was because Auburn got him a couple times there. He was like, he did a whole segment that was like, it's over for Alabama. And because Auburn's modern. Like that was the whole concept. Auburn, you know, Auburn, they're, they're like modern. They're, 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 you know, he's like, and then Bama's like this. And it's like, Auburn's like this. Bama's like this. And you were just like, hey, can we go like <clears throat> the same thing with Belichick? Can we have a season that's a disaster first? Yeah. You know, so when I look at Bama, who I don't think has had three losses in a season since 2010, um, there's a lot of receiver talent there. They've shown it some weeks. Other weeks they haven't. It's all young. It's not developed. They've had some O-line issues at times. Um, the the Kirby Smart deal and and having it happen in Georgia. But I mean, shit, they're a Jamison Williams um, injury from probably winning it yeah. again, man. So <laughs> that's fair. You know, so, they they lost clo- a lot. They lost a close game at Tennessee in a last second kick, and they lost mm-hmm. Baton Rouge on a Saturday night for like the first time in twelve years at that place on a two point conversion. So, I. I'm I mean, not telling you there isn't some other, like maybe it's coming. I got to see a little bit more evidence. And I feel like there's a rush to be the first guy that says the Bama run is over when to me, like they're seven and two. That's fair. And I like to think of myself as more reasonable than like rush to judgment guy, but they kind of got their asses kicked by Texas too. in a game that they should have lost. Um, if it weren't for their injury. But I think the reason why I'm saying this is not just because they're losing. It's because the way their games look, and by it being over for them, it's like what their past has been maybe over. I don't think that I'm not saying they'll never win a national another national championship or they'll never be in the SEC title game again. But it doesn't look like they're just better than everybody else. And that's like been the hallmark to me for Alabama football is like they have a roster that everyone's going to go play in the NFL. And then you look across at the teams that they're playing against and they're playing against even the best teams they play are playing against a bunch of NFL players and a couple of guys that are going to be selling insurance. And it, it doesn't look like that anymore. And that's what I'm saying when I watch them play and maybe it's just a one year blip, it'll all come back. But I think more than anything, it's about what's happening in Georgia and that recruiting oil well that they're on top of. And that's what, I guess that's honestly, it's, it's less of a, of a criticism of Alabama as much as it's just like, I don't see a future where Alabama is like a perennial Final Four team in part because of what's happening in Georgia. I'm not there yet. I'm just not. Okay. I mean, if you want to start telling me the recruitings are going to drop into the, the late teens, which isn't going to happen in Alabama, yeah. like Alabama, Georgia can still get good players. I mean, Auburn's still a mess. That's um, true. So, yeah, I'm just not right. there yet. Maybe. I mean, maybe somebody else is right, but I've just, I've seen this routine before. Bama has right. a bad, and look, is it that bad of a loss? Clearly, LSU has figured some things out, okay? The Tennessee loss is disappointing, but that game was over like within five minutes because they fucked up everything. You know, to me, losing to LSU at their place on a Saturday night, granted, 
you know, being there, seeing it firsthand, like, you want to tell me that's an easy place to get a W against a talented team? Like, it just isn't. So I would have to see a tight one with Vandy after a (laughs) a seven and five season and and fourth in the division before I'm going to entertain even having these conversations. And I'm, but I I think it's, I think it's the game that we're all in where it's like, it'd be a lot cooler if I said it before everybody else did. That's just what's going to (laughs) happen. Well, you just Um, entertained it. You said you're not going to, and we just spent a few minutes entertaining it. So yeah, I can do it with you. I I like doing (laughs) it with you, but um, thanks my man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. Life advice is rr at gmail.com. We have a a quick follow-up, Kyle. But, um, yeah, down at Baton Rouge, getting on a plane very shortly by the time this comes out i'll be almost home and i'm looking forward to it uh it was awesome though i've, I've been coming to this game every year since 08 i missed one because of a hartford flight situation and then obviously covid jammed me up too so i you know the streak will not uh continue but you know i always try to explain louisiana this way like the people here are they're just different in the best way possible they just are they want you to have the best time you can imagine they want you to you know Everything is about you feeling like you're having the best time. And I brought two of my college roommates. Uh, I brought another buddy who's younger than me, so I was not a roommate with him at any point. Uh, for two of them, it was their first ever college football game. <laughs> and to be standing there on the sideline and, you know, LSU goes for two against Bama and pulls it off. Uh, and now it's, you know, we'll spend a lot of time. I'll do some college football stuff on Wednesday. I'm probably going to do the top 12 after the committee does there so then i can compare what i'm doing and talk about some of the committee stuff so it's not two separate segments so instead of having that be monday i'm going to do that on tuesday or on wednesday's pod and because the committee rankings what come out tonight or tomorrow i forget uh so anyway yeah i mean it's it's uh one of my favorite places ever and it's it never gets old and uh they finally won this time because i've had plenty of fun times here and they still had lost and last night felt a little different so it was probably one of my you know, the national championship is different and all this different stuff. And you can give me shit and be like, you didn't even fucking go there. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. I got it. But I've been coming here for like 15 years and I have a lot of friends here that are all alums and involved in the program and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, whatever. I didn't have a football team at my college. I should be allowed to do this. Were you, you down go. there? Were you down there, like down there on the field, like in years previous when this whole two-point thing went went down or were you at a safe? Because I would, I, I would kind of wonder, you know, I was on the field. You're worried. Were you worried was, as like you it, saw the stand starting to migrate? Like, oh, it's weird. It's no, weird. it's a weird feeling. I hope this like, works out. You just have like a last little prayer. And just hope everything works out. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, no, it gets a little weird, man. Um, because we were like you saw people milling around to run onto the field because you know they lined up to go for two, and then there was a timeout. Yeah, it's like oh, we can know this right now. Right, like, right. Like this, <laughs> this might be over. And of course, like when they went up the first time and then Bryce Young went right down the field and it looked like, you know, it looked like LSU had him. And the whole time I'm like, whatever, Bryce is going to like do something else here that's magical. He's just so special. He's just so good. He's so good at, at staying cool. He's so good at in the pocket. Like, again, I'm watching from the field, so I'm curious what it all looks like on TV. But I think Perkins had him. Perkins is number 40, that freshman who they got from Texas. 
he's unbelievable. I cannot believe this kid, man. I mean, he's he's just out there beasting people, and he's beasting people that are bigger than him. They tried to set the edge on him with a huge left tackle, and they couldn't get him. They couldn't, you know, shut down the edge, and, and Gibbs had to run it inside, and you know, they made the tackle on the inside. Like all the shit that he does, it doesn't even lead to stats. Like Perkins, man, the number forty is, is is something else. I can't believe he's a freshman. So anyway, the point is, is that Bryce Young having some miraculous play and it all working out towards the end, like. I was like, okay, well, this this isn't shocking. But then you go to overtime. Um, you know, they they get in and then LSU comes out for two. So everybody was lining up in the alleyways, the tunnels, you know, the four tunnels of a stadium like shoot this. Out. To just shoot out. Right. <laughs> but the cops, the cops are like sitting there going, No, it's not happening. I and mean, people are kind of okay. like, Yeah, it probably <laughs> is happening. So <laughs> I don't know which um and so we were so close to it that they get the two, they win the game. And, you know, again, I feel a little bit like a loser being older and going like, oh, like, yeah, they did it. Yay. You know, um, but I was pumped. You're in it. You're caught up in it. You've been standing there for three and a half hours. You, you're just been high-fiving your buddies. And, you know, I was in another section of the stadium at one point with, with a bunch of, you know, lifelong fans and all that kind of stuff. And so you, it's fun to kind of be a part of it. You know, I feel like you're jumping into this community. Hell, I, you know, in a weird way, I feel like I owe them hell of a lot more than uh, you know, they, I, I owe them a lot more than they owe me. That's for sure. Uh, for letting me, you know, kind of hop along and, and bandwagon it up now for, I don't know, 10 plus years. But the point is, is, uh, as we turned, I was like, well, let's get a picture. You know, the four of us, we, we take a picture of ourselves. And as that's happening, it's just a sea of thousands of people <laughs> streaming straight at you. Crazy. And because you're the only ones that aren't running into the center. Like I jumped up and high five my buddy, but like I wasn't going to like run to the eye of the tiger and like right. do the, do the <laughs> Russell Wilson Jesus spin, you know, arms out guys love that arms out thing right now. Big, big on that one. Having a moment. Yeah, it is having a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Titus and Tate from my days doing that where we're always like, you know what? I hate I hate when, you know, because I guess there was some sort of storming the court is bad for the game and people get hurt and it's dangerous. And they were like, dude, storming the court, man. Don't be a, a weirdo. I would I would consider storming the field probably a scarier thing to be a part of. That's all. <laughs> like, well, just to be I, like, I hope it all works sucks, out. Though. Here's, it sucks for the opposing players. It is dangerous. Totally. And there's an area where they were trying to like rope the coaches off from Bama, and then these LSU guys are giving them shit. Same way it would have been reversed the other way around. Yeah. So nobody's better than anybody than anybody else. Nobody's worse. It's just the reality of guys drinking and saying fuck you to an Alabama coach and an Alabama coach, who, by the way, the one guy that we saw the video of, because one of my friends ended up being in the TikTok of it after the fact, this Bama coach was enormous. He was Oof. just, he was one of those big guys. You're just like, I don't think we're giving him enough credit for not realizing like how absurdly big this guy's frame is that his shoulders start above everybody's head. Right. And of course <laughs> he didn't want to take any shit from anybody. And so he just told the guy off. And then the guy was, come on, come on. The cops are just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like you won the game, be happy. But again, I mean, you know, this, the, the mystery is solved <clears throat> once anybody starts being like, well, how much do you drink? So, uh, <laughs> It, it's it's kind of dangerous and then we were trying to get out of there like we wanted to get out of there and then trying to cut through like around the sides it's just not happening <laughs> it was tough and then we couldn't get out of the tunnel because the tunnel was just a, a like trying to swim upstream it wasn't going to happen so we jumped over the fence and then walked up a couple rows and then went out through like 
one of the concourse areas that way and then back down. Um, but it's like people are falling down and stuff. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a free for all, but at the same time too, like you're going to say, Hey, you can't do this anymore. And by the way, the, the, the storming of the field, storming the court, like you just have to be completely desensitized to it. Now kids just want to have a good time. Yeah. They just want to be a part of something. And that's what's happening. Not like this is the first generation of young people that wanted to have a good time, but I don't, I'm not going to be judgmental about it ever. You know, Clemson storming it against Cuse, like they got all sorts of shit, but I, I think they do it after every win. So like, yeah, you can make fun of them for that. And there's plenty of ones who are like, what are you, like, it's supposed to be this sacred thing. It's not yeah. sacred anymore. It's supposed to matter. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just you get over it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not that big of a deal, even though they were basically two to uh, two touchdown dogs to Bama, which, you know, a lot of us thought was a huge number. So I, I think the uh, greatest thing is, I mean, you're besides just being being in shape and getting basketball and you're ready to jump a fence whenever whenever you need to. So I think that's just another reason for everybody to just stay in shape because you never know when you need to jump a fence to just make your life a whole lot easier. So I think that's great. You guys all did it. Did anybody have trouble jumping the fence or was everyone? Uh, pretty- yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't exactly call this Bo Jackson level <laughs> uh, athleticism. And honestly, honestly, like there's certain things now where I'm like, am I about to rip my groin apart here when I do it this way or what's going on? <laughs> well, so it would just I, suck if there was one guy who was stuck on the other side of the fence and it's like, damn, I wish you <laughs> wish you did more pull-ups because now we're all on the other side of this fence and you just can't get it together. So I'm glad I'm glad everyone in the group made it. That's good. That's good news. There you go. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't it wasn't like really, really uh like cool. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't something like, man, look how athletic that guy is. That guy's great. But there were people falling down all over the place. So I was, I was like, all right, at least I'm not in that group. Okay, let's get to some life advice. Um, this one came in right off the top. I'm going to address it. Hey, guys, just emailing to let you know, Ryan being a stand-up when the plane lands guy is utterly shocking. My friends and I discussed this at length, still in disbelief. That is all. I was a little shocked, too. So you stay when the plane lands at no point, you stay in the seat until it's your time to go. I stay in the seat until about it's time to go. And um, yeah, yeah, I do. Aisle. I just, I was, I, it's sort of an exercise in discipline. And I, I'd like to say, I, you know, if that's one of the things I can actually do, I'll just, I'll sit until it's about time and then I'll get up. Um, and if somebody's like trying to inch forward when they're there, I'm just like, actually, this is where I'm going to stand when I stand up. So you, you stay right there. You'll tell the person don't inch forward. Basically with, you know, with motions or eyes or, you know, whatever. My legs usually hurt after like three or four hours. So well, of course they do. I of course they do. want to get up and stretch my legs. So I could sit a in pain. Thing, man. That's yeah, right. Like, do you prefer me being pain to live by your made up <laughs> fucking rules, emailer and your buddies? <laughs> Is that what you want from your guy? That was, if that's what you really want, maybe you should start talking about what you guys prioritize. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I feel like it's a step above clapping. That's all. You think it's a step above uh, clapping? Yeah, like it's not it's as not bad even as clapping. Close to, it's not as bad as clapping is what I mean to say. It's definitely not as bad as clapping. It's not even the same category. Hey, things. hey, I don't want to argue with you, man. You just had a great weekend. I'm just I'm just saying how I how I, I approach flights. I try to be like, I'm not gonna stand up like everybody else. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna go my own way. It's all right. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, 
All right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's all right. I just think to say it's not as bad as clapping. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> like you think this is, <laughs> you know? Hey, I'll stand so, on it. I don't know. To me, that's like, how you know, how, how should I handle the one penny, take a penny, leave a penny thing versus I steal money from my roommates? <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's probably a wider gap than what we're talking about here. But I don't. I think disagree. it's I think the gap is so <laughs> wide between wanting to stretch your legs versus clapping when the fucking plane lands. Like, you know, you've got your Cedar Rapids hat on. You're like, this is fun. <laughs> There's a specific reference there. Don't take offense. Cedar Rapids. All right. Here we go. Hey, Ryan, Kyle, and Saruti. Congrats to the kids, Saruti. And silence to you, Ryan. <laughs> okay. Let's start at the top. I work as an overnight stalker at a very well-known grocery store. I've worked here for about a year now, worked with my now roommates. About in April, uh, me and these roommates, let's call them George and Jamal, started renting out a three-bedroom house. We pay about $1,500 a month for the small frat house, as we call it. Yeah, cool. My roommate, shortly after getting uh, getting the house, lost their jobs here due to not showing up. This, of course, ticked me off, but I kept steering the course. They eventually found a new job together for a few months through the summer. It was all going well again until they were fired due to not showing up in September. You guys just, you live with two guys who just, I don't, oh, all right. Ever since then, there's been no job in sight for both guys. Jamal, uh, since losing his previous job, has started working as a DoorDasher every weekend to keep gaining cash. Where George, all it seems he wants to do is yell at 2K and talk about how he won 200 on a sports bet that one time. Uh, <laughs> it's been me paying the majority of the rent in these bills the past two months, and I'm just tired of it. Every time we sit around and discuss the job hunt, they always have the same excuse that nothing is good enough or nothing is hiring. Where my response every time is, well, you don't show up, uh, good jobs don't want to take a chance with you. Well, when you don't show up, good jobs don't want to take a chance with you. Okay, that's a fair point, but there's zero chance that any of the new places these guys are applying would know these guys stop showing up um, unless they're dumb enough to leave them as, rec as possible recommendations, references. I remember one time, uh, one of the bars I worked, we were just sitting around like doing inventory during the day and some kid who had graduated school left the bar as a reference and the owner answered the phone. They were like, hi, is this, you know, whatever, this is Fidelity, let's say. I'm calling on behalf of checking a reference. He's like, yeah, he used to steal from us and we fired him. Worst kid we ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, you, uh, you did not want that kid to get that job. And he was like, I hated that kid. I hate it. And I was like, all right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's fair. He's dumb enough to fucking put it down. I was like, so he actually got fired for stealing and put you down on his resume. He's like, yep. Like, okay. All right. Good stuff. Smart. Okay. So back to this. Um, every time we talk this out, it always ends in a huge blow up. And this latest time about a week ago, I applied to a sandwich place down the street just to prove a point. And I actually got an interview the same day. <laughs> this is a good email. Enough rambling now. But my question is, how the fuck do I get them to get a job? We are scrapping or scraping by these past two months to make up cash for these bills and rent universal appliances have been sold just to make it on time damn uh i'm talking nice living room tv and a coffee machine jesus christ sold the guys. coffee machine yeah no it's, it's, fuck pawn shop's gonna think you guys are a bunch of junkies <laughs> like hey man what can i get for this toaster <laughs> like why like i need to keep the water on oh all right that's cool as long as you're being safe you say so 
this isn't going to have a good ending. I don't have a way to fix it. I can't tell you anything other than I've been through this. I've done it. And when there's the guys that know that the other guys are going to pay, guess what the other guys do? They don't do shit until they have that option no longer. So get rid of him. Get rid of him as a roommate. Move on. Do something else. Because even though you could say, well, it sucks. I don't want to have to get new roommates or I get along with these guys or whatever. Uh, it sounds like this guy in particular, the one guy is going to continue to take advantage of you. And like he thinks these things, he's too good for these things. Where at a lot of stages, and almost for all of us, I would say, you know, this is almost as universal as it gets, but early on, there's actually a lot of places that are not beneath us, right? We have in our head that it's beneath us, and you want a cooler job, and you don't want to stock groceries overnight, or you don't want to do any of these things. But like, you know, it actually kind of blows my mind. Like, why would you even bother applying to some of these places in the first place place if, if you thought 30 days, 60 days in, you're like, all right, I'm just going to not show up and then get fired and be okay with it. So you're going to keep covering for these guys for as long as you put up with it. And uh, we had one roommate. I remember one time years and years ago, it was the last time I've ever had roommates. So it's like, I don't know, 19, 20 years ago. And, you know, I was piecing it together with some construction stuff, but it wasn't really helping. And then there was one guy that was bartending that was kind of covering for everybody else. There was another guy who was doing construction and then he got fired. Then there's another guy that had like money saved, but he wasn't really doing anything. So it was a real, this was not, uh, you know, this was not the most talented group of individuals you're ever going to run across. <laughs> all right. And then there was another guy that was kind of like float around, but guys were like broke. Guys are getting like really broke, like going up to McDonald's drive through and like doing it like without a car. You know what I mean? Uh, why? Because it was open late. That's why it wasn't open earlier. And it was always a little weird too. And so one guy got so mad at the other guy. He was like, you're this week. He's like, you have to like go apply to five places and you have to tell me how it went. And that's weird. Like you're roommates. It's not your dad, right? So you don't want to be a dad to these fucking guys. They're not going to listen to you and they're going to get mad at you. They're not going to ever at any point go, you know what? This guy, meaning the emailer, great point. Is, making, <laughs> is making some really great points. He's making some real, I need to lower my standards. I need to get out there. I need to start. Like, so you spending your time locking down the sandwich place interview to prove a point, you're right. It didn't prove shit to those guys because they don't want to do any of this stuff. They're not going to do any of it. They're just not going to. So the quicker you accept that and get out of there and stop covering these guys, the better off you'll be because you're just going to lose money and get more aggravated. There's no fix for guys that don't give a shit. Yeah, I think, I think you're Kevin Durant, and I think this is Ben Simmons and Kyrie. And if your credit score is a finals, I think this is probably just not going to work out. I just think it's going to be really hard with the team you've built to get anything you want. So, yeah, I I don't know if you're month to month. I I don't. Maybe you said what kind of lease you have. But if you're in the beginning of a 12-month lease, I think this is not even close to all the shit that's going to come up that's going to bother you. Uh, it's just it, you could just tell from the beginning how this is going to go. And when I was kicked out of school and I had my year off, uh, I moved into an apartment with my friend uh, and it was just, I just picked the wrong guy and it was painfully obvious. And he was like, had a job. He actually got me the job. Then he just kind of stopped caring about it. He would like, he would not go. He'd lie about, he'd, he'd lied to me and told me he had a job at Home Depot. And like, he just brought home like one of those aprons that they give you at Home Depot. And I, I believed him for like two months that he was also working at Home Depot, but he wasn't going to the regular job. He wasn't going to his fake job. And it was just, thank God that we, uh, 
we had like two separate leases for the same apartment, which, you know, not, not always the case. Um, so, and, and the, it was so bad that the landlord begged me, I think we moved in in uh, September and I think the landlord by May was like, do you want me to let you out of this lease? I was like, yeah. So he like, he was just so happy that we weren't even, we didn't have to be on the books any longer. So which, you know, you never get let out of a lease. So I really hope that you're not going to be on the hook. It just, this isn't going to work. I can promise you it's not going to work. And I hope that you can get out. Uh, if this isn't a, I hope you didn't sign a long-term lease. That's all I mean. Yeah. Well, I don't know. doesn't sound like these guys are super buttoned up on any of that stuff. So, uh, anyway, if this is early on, I just mean, I think there's going to be way more problems and I hope this, uh, I hope you didn't sign a 12 month lease, which I may feel like everybody does. So good luck, man. That's all. Uh, well, there you go. Yeah. Not much more to add on that one. Well said, Kyle. The Kyrie Durant thing was good. Very good. Okay. Um, try an international one, 183 centimeters, 70 kilos live in Seoul. I own my own business. I'm extremely fortunate that my business has done well over the last couple of years due to the, uh, during the pandemic. If I continue working at my current pace, 14 hours a day and almost no days off from March until November, winters are slow. I think I will be able to retire in three and a half years at 48 years old. The problem is I don't like my job. The thought of doing this another three and a half years is soul crushing. Pun. What would you do? Suck it up for the next three and a half years or quit now and move in another direction, which would remove any chance of early retirement. Uh, Three and a half years is not a long time. You seriously going to be retired at 48? How did you do it this long? Like, what did you do? How did you, like, I need more information. Not that we need to, you know, become buddies and, and keep in contact here. It's, it's rather vague. It's limited on details, but being provided what I'm being provided here on just simple math alone. I mean, how many years have you had? You probably, what? put in 20 something years of this already or something, or, you know, I don't know, unless did you just start the business and it did so well that you can retire based on this in three and a half years? Do you know that it's going to be three and a half years? I mean, what if there's an economic downturn? Is your sector uh, immune from it? Whatever. Uh, it sounds like you didn't get crushed during the pandemic, as you mentioned. 14 hour days is brutal. 14 hour days, brutal. March to November, so he's saying in the winter, he has more free time. Um, he's got an American name too. He's living, he's living over there. So I don't know if that factors into it at all. Uh, that one's, that one's really tough, but I would, I would be able to, I personally would just say, Hey, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm going to be able to retire at 48 and you're never going to have to worry about this shit again. If I'm led to believe everything that you've written in the email, Kyle. Yeah, I think I would. I, I'm with you. I'd say grind for three years. And then, I mean, it's hard to retire. If you're telling me that you can nail this at 48, I mean, you're like one of the few, the proud. I would totally, I would totally do that. And also, you know, once you, I think, fixate on something, doesn't have to be this exact thing. Sometimes the time in between just seems impossible. You know, like once you decide that you like want to make a change in your life and this would be retiring, right? And doing something else. Like it seems like, well, fucking three years seems impossible now, even though you've, you know, you've been doing this for however many years already. So I think, um, it's just a matter of perspective. Just try to change your perspective because, uh, in the, in the grand scheme of things, I think this is the right move that we're telling you, but I could see how it, it seems like for sometimes a month could seem like forever, you know, shout out to sober October, but it's just like, sometimes 
sometimes it's actually not like if you zoom out, it's not as bad as it actually seems, especially if you can retire. Cause there's people out there that are, you know, 65 and they're like, fuck, I guess maybe now I can retire, hopefully. And if you're like, if I just stick with this in another three years, I'll probably be okay. You know? Yeah. That. I mean, look, you're, you're only like anything, you're seeing it through your perspective. But if you, I mean, are you supposed to suck it up and have no life? Could you do damage totally. to your psyche? You know, by sucking this up for another three and a half years and that even though you retire, you're kind of fucking weird after the fact because you just feel like you've not been happy for that much longer. And that's kind of a dangerous game to just allow yourself to be bummed out for that much longer. Um, so that's something to think about there. But every single person listening to this would probably go, I would switch. I'll do that. Like, let me maybe not every <laughs> single person, you know what I mean? But a majority, a majority of people would be like, I'll, I'll gladly do that. I would do that and be retired at 48. Only, if, But we don't know what he's doing. Like, we don't know, like, what's up with these 14-hour days. Because it's, it's got to be some computer-based thing, I'd imagine, right? No? Well, actually, that doesn't make any sense. Because if he's saying the winners are slower, then, then I don't know what it is. Is he a lifeguard? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> right? You didn't know that? International you could, lifeguard. Yeah, you retire by 50 <laughs> if you're a lifeguard in Seoul. Does well. Does really well. Yeah. Yeah, I would have I would have liked a little bit more info, um, just at least maybe this the the industry that he's in, right? I shouldn't I shouldn't say sector. Uh I uh, I I remember okay, I also remember this though. Like I remember there was a guy that was older than me and he was graduating and you know, there'd be some guys that like the older guys liked me for whatever reason, and I was picking all of their brains. Like I was trying to figure out like I always knew what I didn't want to do. I had very little idea what I wanted to do. I mean, I had some ideas of like, hey, that would be cool, or maybe I'll do this or whatever. Uh, I think at one point I actually wanted to work at a horse farm, like where they breed or bred horses, That's and then become like a horse guy, <laughs> and then bring my yeah, then I bring my buddies down because I just thought like horse racing and gambling was cool, and I'd be like, I'd like to, I'd like to just be in that world, even though I have <laughs> zero connection to it whatsoever, and like just move to Kentucky and then. I think maybe the thing I really wanted to do was fly my buddies down to a race and be like, yeah, oh yeah, Rasilla's a horse guy now. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Honestly, that makes no sense at all. Saying it out loud, I almost am going to ask Kyle to edit it, but we're going to leave it in there as a punishment because <laughs> it doesn't make any fucking sense. Zero, none. No farm life experience, nothing. Like you just, I don't know, I guess you just see people at like the Breeders' Cup and jackets and be like, yeah, I could do that. Nice like, pants. Would you? Yeah. Like, what, what skill would you bring? You'd show up to the farm the first day and be like, hey, like, all right, cool. I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to be a horse guy. I'm scooping shit now for a couple of years, but we'll get there. Okay, so bad story, bad plan on top of it all. One guy in particular was taking over a family business, and I remember him saying, like, yeah, moving here. And I was like, oh, my God. And then he's like, we're going to, I'm going to do this. And he goes, and I'm going to retire by 50. And I'm like, this guy already has, like, the next 28 years mapped out, 28, 29 years mapped out. Like, he's just going to work this family business as hard as he possibly can put enough money aside and then keep the business going to a level that's sustainable that he can sell it. And that'll be his retirement. Not. Like that'll be it. And I remember like being bummed out for him. I'm like three decades. Like this is it. It's all you're going to do. <laughs> you're not going to do anything. That's good. <laughs> you're out. Right. You're not going to like deviate from this plan at all. You're not going to maybe try to franchise it out. You're not going to, you know, and it was like, no, I'm going to take this thing over. I'm going to grind and then I'm going to be retired by 50. Done and done. I have no idea if he retired or not, but it seemed pretty lofty at 22 
to be saying that kind of stuff. It sounds like and, something a 22 you know, year old so, would say too. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like, hey man, that yeah, guy's got a real big plan. Great, man. And I, I think he did do it for a long time too. But I, again, he would be over 50 now. So I, maybe I should check in and say, hey, did you end up retiring? I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't. Uh, as it relates to the email here, like what you'd be sacrificing, despite my fear for how bummed out you're going to be for three and a half years, what you're sacrificing for what the reward would be by 48 years old to truly have no commitment to having to work, having enough money to go ahead and like actually be safe and know you're cool. Like that's, I don't care who you are. We're all, we all still kind of worry about it deep down. Like, have I put enough aside? Are my investments sound? Um, you know, am I going to actually be able to live in a nice place? Like if I live in a nice place now, will I actually be able to afford to live in this when I'm older? If you're telling me like, you're not gonna have to worry about any of that shit, man, that's a pretty awesome thing. And maybe three and a half years isn't the ultimate price. Okay. That'll do it for us. Thanks to Kyle. Uh, and again, big thanks to everyone down in Baton Rouge, uh, for another legendary weekend. Um, can't thank you guys enough. Uh, you know, who you are. So, um, thanks to everybody. So we'll be doing it in Tuscaloosa again next year. That's Ryan Rosilla podcast. Bring your Spotify. Talk to you Wednesday.